morning. They fucking surrounded him in the fog, and all I could hear was him screaming his head off. Hey, what the yeah. fuck? No, the day we had the protest. Oh, really? So gnarly. They surrounded him in the fog, and we're trying to stab him at the board, fucking screaming at him, fucking crunching him so he had no place to move. That's Chris Taloa, also known as Chris Wan, talking about Lunata Bay. Welcome to Surf Splendor. I'm your host, David Scales. This episode is filled with expletives, so you've been warned. But before we get into our normal format, uh, I just wanted to continue this discussion about localism at Lunata Bay. The conversation started in our last episode of Surf News when we discussed a recent protest that took place at Lunata Bay and the social media frenzy that surrounded it on the inertia and Reddit. Um, Lunata Bay is located in a very affluent area of Los Angeles. For those of you who didn't hear that episode or aren't from Southern California, it's only accessible from a real narrow walking path down a steep cliff, and it's known for just being the most localized surf spot in California. There have been numerous stories of violence, arrests, and even lawsuits filed against the locals, the non-locals, and even the city. More on that in a moment, but... Back to Chris Taloa. I grew up watching Chris in surf videos. He was the only bodyboarder that I'd ever really see in surf videos, and the reason why he was included was because he would actually stand on the bodyboard. Not drop knee, but actually stand on two feet, fully upright, and he'd rip. He'd, I remember him literally like dropping in at back door, getting barreled, getting spit out. He would do turns, he'd do airs, everything. And um, this was back when even very few surfers were even doing airs. So he was just really, really gnarly Um, and surfing big waves too. But anyways, I'll post video clips of him on our website so you could check him out in case you uh, weren't ever exposed to him. But after our last episode, I received this email, quote, Hey buddy, I was working with Chris on the Lunata thing. I'm the guy who wrote this stuff on Reddit and the inertia. Just wanted to say... Thanks for keeping the dialogue about Lunata going. Rory Parker. We had a six-email exchange where I learned that Rory lives on the north shore of Oahu, so I wouldn't be able to get an in-person interview with him. He was, however, able to put me in contact with Chris. So give me um, your background before we get into actually Lunata. (laughs) What's your background and story? Um, Born and raised on the north shore. I've been surfing my whole life. And I learned from every all the main guys that hung out with Fast Eddie and Marvin Foster and Dan Kiloha, like all the heavies and all the lighties, you know, everybody. Hung out with everybody. Um, North Shore boy, V-Land. So how'd you end up out here then? Oh, I did Blue Crush 12 years ago. Okay. Then I moved down to Avenue B in Redondo. Yeah. And uh, from there, you know, Lenata Bay was right five minutes away. And I saw it, and I saw how fucking good the wave, like the power that came in there. It wasn't always good, but when it's good, I want it, you know? Yeah, totally. So everyone was scared, said, your shit gets all bashed up and can't go out. So I was like, fuck, okay. And then I said, uh, I called up my, my, uh, my like, old roommate. He's like my older brother. He's like the old school guy from over there. I was like, okay. So I called him up, and I go, bro, can I, can I go surf with these guys? You know, get some waves over there? He told me, don't even fucking ask me that question. Don't even fucking ask that. Don't ever, don't ever, don't you ever fucking ask me that question again. That's what it said. And I was like shocked, but then I never said anything more about it because um, 
he never talks like that to me unless it's something very serious. I never, ever, ever heard it, ever this guy talk to me like this. And he's from here. He's not like a Hawaiian guy. So already, you know, most Hawaiians would take it super offensive that you can surf everywhere on the North Shore, but I can't surf in your backyard, you know? Right. I got a little offended, but at the same time, I was like, he said that in a way that I wasn't going to question it. Something about it was like, okay. I stayed away from it. And then four years later, my, my, one of my brothers and, and his friends went to go surf there and they had their suits on the top. And I guess that's not part of the rule. You have to put them on, on the bottom of the cliff. So he went down the cliff and he instantly got fucking, he instantly got attacked by some guy from over there, just instantly in his face, jumping all over and fucking screaming at him, like point blank in his face, tell him get the fuck out of here. He couldn't even touch the water. And the guy got in his face, was calling him out for fighting, and they ended up getting into a scuffle. And from, from what I heard, I heard the guy ended up on his back. And he got up and screamed cops after he got his ass kicked. And then he fucking had six of his friends come off the cliff and surround my brother and his friend. Okay. And that's a pussy move, dude. Sure. Even in Hawaii, the cops are like, well, you're a fucking pussy. Well, why'd you do that for? You, 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 you want to fight, go fight. And if you lose, you lose. You can act like a bitch and go run into the cop after you get your ass kicked out and you start a fight. You're a loser. So his friends that surrounded your brother, were they cops? No. Or no the cops weren't involved yet? No, no, okay. they weren't involved. My brother just walked up the cliff like fuck. And when he got to the top of the cliff, they're surrounding him, threatening him, telling him this and that. We're going to fucking make sure you're fucking going to jail. Blah, blah. My brother's all, you know what? Fuck you guys. I'm going to my car. I'm leaving. And he left. Never paddled out. Never paddled out. Fucking nothing. It was just like, wow. And he came and he told me about it. I'm like, bro, that's the one place I told him. I told him, we can surf anywhere in the world, but for some reason, I said to him, there's something about this fucking little tip of the, of the point here that tells me to tell you to stay the fuck away from it. Yeah. There's something wrong here. Something is fucked up. Everyone's scared to death of this little area, and I don't know why. Mm -hmm. So fucking stay away from it. Twelve years passed without Chris ever venturing into Lunata Bay. Then, this past winter, in a cosmic turn of events, everything changed. The local bay boy whom Chris's brother had beaten up at Lunata, showed up in Hawaii in December to surf. Chris heard about it, and in the interest of not perpetuating the violence, decided to not tell his family about the enemy in their midst. I did exactly that. My brother never found out till he got back to uh, California. Then he found out when I told him, by the guy was right there. I didn't want to tell you, it's Christmas. Fuck, he's supposed to have a good time. He's supposed to have a good time. Life is supposed to be good. Then another guy from there was going over to Hawaii. And I hooked him up with one of the boys out of VLAN to get really good barrels at VLAN. I don't know why. The guy's a super overweight guy. He can barely surf. Goofy footer. But you know what? It's his, it was his dream to get a couple over there. So fuck it. You know, no big deal. Hook him up with a couple ways. I told my friend, hey, hook him up with a couple ways. I'd love to get a couple ways at his place. So, okay, shoots. Hooked him up. The guy got back. He was real happy. They sent me this little Jewish guy. Um, real nice guy, and he's showing me all the places to park where my tires won't get slashed and fucked up. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about this. Okay, park around here and not have to worry about anything. Cool. So, everything's cool. He showed me all the spots where to park where my shit's not gonna be destroyed by the boys and all that. The very next day, this little Jewish guy called me in such a psycho panic, like hyperventilating, not knowing how to breathe properly. He's fucking having a, he's going through a twister, and I don't know what the fuck is going on. You can't park around here. You don't know me, I don't know you. I'm being threatened. They're gonna threaten you. They're threatening me. They're threatening you. They're gonna slash your tires, slash my tires. Fuck this. It's over. Don't come around. 12 years, yeah. I sit over here on this cliff right next to you fuckers. Are you gonna fucking treat me like that? Yeah, after you already paid it forward with the VLAN too, right? No way. 
I paid it for way, way hard with the guy who tried to throw my brother in jail for surfing. Right. I got two brothers in jail for real crime. Yeah. One for triple homicide, one for something I don't even want to tell you guys about. You're gonna fucking stick my brother in jail for surfing? Oh, buddy, this fucking thing has just started. Yeah. You're never fucking getting rid of me. Yeah. You know? We come from hell, and I made it out. And I'm not gonna see you guys fucking throw one of my family members in jail for having a good time at the beach. Right. We're fucking, we've, us Hawaiians showed everyone how to surf around the world. Yeah. We're not asking for, to rip you off or take anything from you. We're just gonna ride the energy comes in from the ocean. And these assholes won't even let the lifeguard surf? Bro, these guys need to get the fuck out of there. So what happened when your friend or the Jewish so dude says don't When he said here. all that shit and all that kind of stuff, I was trying to get a hold of my, I was trying to get a hold of my Hanai older brother in Hawaii and, and, and I wasn't getting any response from him. And I kept hearing this rumor about these guys fucking talking shit about how they kicked Sonny Garcia out of the water. Bro, are you, bro, just insult after insult on us Hawaiian guys. I haven't fucking done any of these guys. Finally, I said, you know what? I texted my brother. I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. It's on. I went straight to Facebook. Fucking uh, threw a big giant, um, called a few of my friends who are pretty intelligent with this kind of thing. They told me exactly what to do. I don't really want to say too much about the plans that I got going on. Yeah. But everything's legal. And it's basically just a game. And we're just gonna melt these motherfuckers and keep sending guys over to that place every single day. You can only yell for so long until you get tired. We're just gonna fucking keep pounding on Wear their fort. Pounding them. We see how fucking scared they are. So, the, have the, you surfed out there though? I have. The last time I surfed out there, the guy threatened me with anal rape by arrest. Yeah, and, and that's not the first time. After I left, he threatened another guy the next day the same way. Tells me something. They're fucking doing something super illegal for them to feel that comfortable to say that they're gonna get you raped by the cops. What do they? What do you do when they say that? You just keep your mouth. I look shut at or? them. I shake my head. What they try to do? They try to take off and jump in front of you, so you hit them, and then they're gonna they're gonna scream fucking assault. So they burn you on a wave. Tr fall over the falls or hit you, and then they scream assault, and you're gonna go to jail, buddy. I'm gonna make sure you get raped and asked by a big black nigger. I'm gonna see to it. Huh. How the fuck are you gonna react to that? In Hawaii, we don't know anything about racism. You know what Holly means? It doesn't mean fucking white skin. It means asshole. Yeah. You know that guy's being a, a fucking total Holly. Yeah. You know. There's no fucking way. So I had an uncle with my, of mine out there. He was just rapid, happened to be there. Nicest guy in the world. I was like, what's up, Hoey? He's a shaper, Don Johnson. He's not my real uncle, but in Hawaii, yeah. in, on the North Shore, everyone's re we're related by, by friendship and love. And that guy means everything to me. He's a big old Dutchman, fucking sweetest guy in the world. I went to go paddle to him, and this guy was like, don't you fucking go over there. You don't fucking paddle over. You get the fuck over there and go in the channel. I looked over at my uncle, like, what? He knew I wanted to just like fucking tell this guy straight. My uncle's all, we're guests, bro. Just. Just listen to him go over there. And I saw how heartbroken he was by the way this guy was treating me. And but I can't tell you the amount of fire that yeah. these guys are setting under my fucking ass. Like, like I'm sick as a dog. I shouldn't even be out here. I don't give a fuck, but fuck these guys. Let me ask you this. Um, is How many people do you think run it? Like, how many locals are there? Is there I'd say there's about nine or ten of them. And they, they really, really hold it down. And, and they push it right up to the legal limit, if not just past it. Yeah, and they no, no, no one wants to call in on them because people in the area think that the community is backing them up because it's a, a rich affluent neighborhood. Bro, there's kids that live right across the street that can't go out there without right. having nightmare bullshit to deal with. So who are the eight or nine or nine or ten guys? Uh, well, they sit at Little Rock Tip out there, and um, you know I'm sending a, a bunch of comedians out there with video cameras. They're gonna go out there and just fucking roust, have a good time. It's legal to go on the beach and talk and ask questions. Right. So we're gonna get more detail and tighter detail, but so far I've noticed that there's two guys. One's kind of a sandy-haired brownish haired guy that was the thing he said to me in the water pissed me off those cycles oh you better pray to god that we can fix the damage that you've done so they all know who you are yeah i can't believe that they think i want them to fix anything yeah i want that fucking thing ripped wide open i want that chain link fence that mental chain link fence has been there for 60 years is melting 
Yeah. And people know it's bullshit, so yeah. they're showing up. I mean, every day somebody's showing up and pushing the limit, and we need to keep doing it. Let me ask you this. If there's only 10 of them, why can't you just rally 20 guys and just paddle out there and just... People are so fucking scared. These guys have hurt people throwing rocks off the cliff. They fucking take a shit in your bag. They destroy your car. They fucking give you a bad time in the water. I mean, they literally have been going illegal, rogue illegal for so long. They really honestly think that they can lock it down. Their whole thing is they're afraid that the south and the north all around them is going to come over and mob and take everything away from them. Right. That shit don't belong to them. Right. I don't know where the fuck they're thinking. The beach is fucking free territory. If people are able to, to own a beach, what do you think is going to happen around America? People are going to start buying beaches. And what's going to happen to surfing? Fuck. Yeah. You got to be fucking rich elite to go surf in front of some, some place? No, man. Let I don't fucking you, think so. Let me ask you this. Um, you <clears throat> talked about growing up on VLAN, and that's pretty well known for being kind of a localized spot. Fuck yeah. How is that different? How is the localism at VLAN different than the localism the at localism VLAN? The localism at VLAN is different by the way that, well, here's localism at VLAN. You paddle out. You respect the women and the children. The women and the children and the boys are going to burn you fast at first to see what you're about. If you start harassing people, they're going to kick you out. It's a test. You fucking know how to respect people, eat a fucking couple drop-ins and shit like that from the boys, they're going to say, hey, you know what? This guy's not punking any kids. He's been taking a lot of ass. Bring him up. You move to the second tier. You don't sit on the inside anymore. This guy's earning his way. All the uncles make sure you got your fucking shit together. Yeah. Over at Lenata, you can't even touch the fucking water. Yeah. Uh, to me, that's a fucking insult. Tell me about, you talked about your brother getting in a fight there and you made reference to like throwing rocks and stuff like that. Do you have any specific oh, other the last stories time I, of somebody? The last time I surfed there, there was a kid throwing rocks, lobbing them off the cliff at us. A kid? A little kid. And I know exactly who the kids are. And I know the mom who surfs on the inside. She's always there. Her kids are lobbing rocks at us. And not only that, the kids fucking um, vandalized our cars and threw eggs all over the fucking thing. And, and it's like, bro, I know what you guys are doing. I'm not stupid. I know you live right there. Have you ever called, in that instance, have you called the authorities? I never did, bro. You know what? I'm a fucking, I, I grew up as a fucking punk, okay? I don't believe in the whole litigation thing. If I want to be at that, then I would turn to that. But to me, that's that's super howly. Yeah. That is so lame. You start fucking with people's personal life like that but these guys don't give a shit they've been fucking with people They're, these guys are family destroyers they've been fucking pulling this litigation thing and ruining people's lives for a long time they don't deserve to be there quick break what chris is referring to is a unique tactic that the locals use at lunata that i've really never even heard about anywhere else um, because it's a wealthy community and many of the bay boys come from wealth they have access to lawyers and legal support so while in the past they use violence to keep surfers out, nowadays they'll instigate fights with surfers, enticing the non-local into a fight. And then once the non-local throws the first punch, the bay boy will prosecute the non-local with a lawsuit. What's worse is that there are rumors circulating that the local authorities are not sufficiently protecting non-local surfers. A group of six surfers from nearby Torrance even filed a $6 million lawsuit against the city of Palos Verdes for allegedly looking the other way while the Bay Boys threatened them with violence. I got a friend who got pulled over over there with a cracked windshield. The cops took him, put him, put him away, took his car away. He never got his car back, he got taken away for a cracked windshield, never got his car back. And he was surfing there? And he wasn't even surfing, he was, he was just driving by. Oh, really? He wouldn't even, he they, and they stopped him in front of these guys, made him take his shit out and walked past these guys with all their shit, and then they took his car. To me, that, there's some fucking something to with that. Right. That's not happening, you know? Chris organized a peaceful protest on Monday, January 20th, 2014. On Facebook, Reddit, and the Inertia, he and Rory Parker posted an open invite to join him at Lunata Bay. 
which the protesters renamed Aloha Point. The post read, quote, Surfers, bodyboarders, SUP dudes, kayakers, and kneeboarders along with the California coast are free to enjoy the ocean. Most importantly, have fun and be peaceful. This is all in the spirit of enjoyment of the ocean. Bring the wife, the kids, pack a lunch, and enjoy a fun session followed by a clifftop picnic, unquote. So I made a big stink on Facebook. All of a sudden, Channel 5 was coming down to interview this thing. I mean, the cliffs lined up with cops, boat cops. I mean, what cops everywhere. What was the plan? The plan was to get every single one of these motherfuckers mugshots. And they all showed up perfectly. And I went out there, and they fucking surrounded me, and they showed their true colors about how they work. So you paddled out that morning? Fuck yeah. How many people showed up on the beach to support the protest? So many people from the neighborhood. It was lined up with, with normal uh, citizens that live in the neighborhood that want these fools out of here. Okay. They want them out. I was tripping. My neighbor is an old Lanada Bay resident. He said they, they wish they could. He's a psychiatrist. said they're vampires. Really? Their objective is to piss you off so you react so they can throw you in jail and sue you out. Okay. They do it all day. So you show up, <coughs> a bunch of other people show up to support you in the protest. Mm -hmm. You said you paddle out. Did anybody paddle out with you? No, dude. No you way. paddled out by yourself. By myself with like, fuck, I don't know how many people were. Well, before I even got down the cliff, guys were trying to start fighting me. And there were right, In front of the cops. Cops are making them leave. Cops are making these. Oh, yeah. Cops are making them leave. You gotta leave, bro. You're out of hand. Bye. Boom. You gotta go. Boom. You gotta go. And were they? Yeah, they had they better. Okay. You know, these weren't the these weren't old cops. These are like young rookie cops. They fall in the book. You know, I don't yeah. know what the deal is. They probably the old cops follow the book too. Well, and with the even the old cops that are there, they've got news crews and stuff. They have to follow the book. Yeah, that dude. Day. I just, hey, if I'm following the law, I better get I better get law. Yeah. You know, if you guys wanna play legal, let's play legal. Right. If there's a fucking problem, you guys don't fucking see anything because. You know, you're the cops in the area. Well, we'll make it black and white with video cameras, so it's legal, bro. Right. You know, and we're not going to call you until we upload it onto Facebook or to the internet, so you can't fucking take us and make the, the exactly. footage disappear. So that day, you paddle out, and what happens? I got instantly, like, before I could even get to the cliff, guys were fucking screaming and jumping up and down on the point, telling me to fuck up. I was like, okay. So I, I walked all, I ran down there with my middle finger in the air. Fuck you guys. I don't give a shit who you guys are. And how many of them are there? At, well, at that, that time, I'm like, oh, I don't know, like 30 guys, 40 no guys. <laughs> so they all rallied that day too. It's perfect. It's everything I wanted. Okay. You know, I even, you know, there are some people in there that are supposed to be supposed to be some gnarly white racists. Yeah. You know, and they showed up, yeah. and I got them personally trying to get me in the face with their fins. I got all the footage, them kicking me, everything. And if the I cops wanted, were on the beach on that day. Videotaping. If I want, they asked me if I wanted the pressure. I said, no. Fuck, bro. I'm a man. I can fucking take your kicks, you pussies. Gotcha. You know, I'm not, fuck. I'm not a litigator. I want the world to see what you guys are doing so we can flood your spot and take your fucking baby rattle away. Right. It's not yours. Yeah. It belongs to everybody. So you paddle out that day? Did you catch any waves? Or? Oh, they try to keep me from catching waves. I try to catch one on the inside and they try to uh, gear me or steer me into a, a, a rock that sticks out there. I saw it. I bailed. And they're all laughing, cheering. I didn't give a shit. You know, I paddled out. They're giving me a third degree. Guys are, what the fuck? And there's guys out there that don't know what's going on. Why are you doing this? How can you make a big scene? Why are you blowing our place up? And finally, I said, bro, you guys don't fucking play by the fucking rules. And they're like, what? You can't play by the rules. You can't come down and break all these people. And, oh, my God. And I said, bro, you know, I told them the whole story I told you. The whole fucking thing from 12, 12 years back all the way to now. I don't fucking deserve that treatment. No one does anybody else. Mm -hmm. And if you guys are going to break your rules and bring your friends, guess what? I'm friends with the whole fucking world. So everyone can go to your beach now. Yeah. That's how it works. You can fucking break your rules and then show up at my beach. You know? I can't even touch the water, but you can surf it all over my areas. Right. I even saved your ass from getting the fucking shit annihilated out of you. Yeah. I could have fucking had you broken. In Hawaii. In Hawaii. Right. And, bro, four days before Christmas, you would have gone home as a bloody piece of meat. They got another guy that we came across on Facebook. Full racial. 
fucking said epic blackface, painted his face to look like he's some kind of Hawaiian fucker on, on, on MLK Day, and he had a Bob Marley shirt, and he was out of control racist. My Hawaiian friend saw that, downloaded the picture, found out that the guy works in Hawaii at Kirby at, 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 uh, at uh, Pier 21 in, in Oahu, and we're flipping. What, you fucker? You can come to Hawaii and surf wherever you want, but we can't even touch your water? I, I told him, I told to him. bro, I told all my Hawaiian friends, don't go over there. These guys are litigation assholes. You cannot get into a fight, so you will go to jail. Leave his ass be. I even told the guy before um, he deleted the photo, like, you better get that shit off of the fucking, off the net because they're fucking coming for you. Right. And the, and the, the kids that were wrecking my cars and the, and the mom that was out there, that's their friend. Yeah. And so they know exactly what the fuck, because they stopped fucking talking shit on me. They instantly stopped, like, uh-oh. Yeah, we know you guys are racist. Fucking straight out open in the face with it, you know? Fuck you guys. These guys are so, these guys, these guys acted with impunity in front of the police officers and the public. They didn't give a shit about anybody there. What's your theory on that? Why doesn't the police do anything about it? I've never seen that kind of shit before. They, what they do is they just stick right within the legal limit and they know how to play the game. They go out there and they fucking threaten you with fucking, with, uh, with jail time. They've weaponized the law. Yeah. Like you've been trying to do things peacefully, and even when friends of yours threaten violence, you tell them to calm no down. No violence, bro. No way. Right. Okay, uh -uh. but I've never done it like this. Of course, but <clears throat> but considering the amount of momentum that you're building, mm -hmm. isn't it only a matter of time until somebody reacts with violence? It, is, is there's that a, a there's a good possibility because you know I don't control the people's minds. Exactly. But at the same time, I know where my mind is at. I'm not. I'm not everybody else's mother and father. They're gonna fucking act the way they're gonna act. Yeah. You know me. I'm. I'm telling everybody peaceful protest. Like, hey, we want you want to fucking get these guys. If they have a little inner inner child and it's an ego, and that little ego thinks it fucking owns the beach, so fucking put people on the beach and let that little ego know that you don't own the beach. They don't like black people. Give some black people. They don't like Mexicans. Get the blacks and the Mexicans. Have them come to the beach and give these guys a little wake up call. Just show up and show your color. What happened after the Martin Luther King Day protest? Um, I left. I was happy with the result. I got everything I wanted, the photos, the video, the whole thing. Have you, know? you been back since? Yeah, I went back one other time. I got fully, uh, I got threatened with ass rape via fucking arrest. What was the exact uh, threat? <sighs> what was this, what well, okay, happened? I, I, like, I, I, took off, I took off on a wave. Okay. These guys were telling the guys on the inside to burn me. So I was trying to get the speed to get around the guy. The guy got up. As soon as he got up, his nose came out, and I saw his nose going right in my face, and I whacked it with my arm in my face, like as hard as, I mean, I got fucking clobbered by this guy. I turned around, didn't even look at him, rubbing my face, big bruise on my arm, just, just fucking tripping, and I hear the guy, that's it, buddy, you're fucking fucked. You're fucked. That's assault. That's fucking assault. You're going to jail. You fucking hear me? You fucking going to fucking jail. I'm going to fucking see to it that your ass is raped by a big Mexican. So, what'd you do? I just shook my head. I shook my head at the threat, and I was just like, okay, pile back out. My uncle was so, like, shocked by the behavior. He's like, don't worry, bro, I'm a guest. And he's like, go to the channel, Chris, it's okay. I've never had that happen to me, yeah. bro. My fucking uncle, bro, I, when he sell, tells me something, I'll do it, yeah. you know? He asked me to get rid of all my information on the net that I had of the Facebook and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, I got rid of all the stuff that, that I could, but there's an Instagram. There's a tweet, there's a t uh, Twitter account, and there's some Aloha Point Surf Club page on Facebook that ain't going anywhere because they're not mine. 
These guys got to deal with their own problem, though. These guys aren't liked by anybody. So you, who started the Aloha Point stuff? I don't know, but they're fucking killing it, and they mean it, and they're really bummed on these people. And I, I know that um, I got a message from the Aloha Point guy. He said uh, he was super appalled to see some guy holding a baby in his, in his soccer shirt harassing individuals trying to go down a path with a video camera. Like, and then that guy called me up and said, oh, dude, I'm a Christian, I'm peaceful. And I believe he's peaceful. He doesn't want anybody to harass. But, dude, if you don't want to harass, then don't harass. Yeah. You know? And then he, he told me that's the only time I did it. And then I got a friend of mine sending me pictures of the guy jumping in front of his camera shooting the pictures, too. It's like, hey, you fucking can go to Hawaii anytime you guys want. Shoot pictures wherever the fuck you want. I'm in California. In this affluent community. It's a beautiful place. If I want to shoot pictures off this cliff and you get in my way, you're obstructing my fucking view. Yeah. You're fucking with me. They obstruct the fucking pathway. That's, that's illegal. Obstructing a public easeway to the beach. Right. That's, an, that's a public easement. That's, they're not supposed to do that. Threatening people with, with serious bodily harm and, and grave sexual sodomy? Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? These guys need to leave. So that instance that you just explained in the water? It's um, not the first time. Right after that happened to me, my friend went the very next day and got the same thing. Did you get that one on video? Um, no. Okay. No, but we've got a lot of stuff on video. So I'm not. it's not like I got to worry about anything, you know? Yeah. Talking about not pursuing litigation, though, why have it on video? What would the What do you I, want to do with the I video? I just want everyone to see it, and you know what? So where is it, though? Why Why don't people Why haven't you posted it? I have posted some of it. Yeah. And there's more of it being posted on YouTube. There's a guy named Katusha. I don't know who he is. K A T O O S H A. He's on He's on YouTube, and he is on a mission to get these fuckers. Really? He's been so, He's been trying since 2006, and I, he ain't telling me anything, but I know he knows that there's something fucking fucked up going on up there. Um, well, there is based on what you said already, but is there something beyond that? Yeah. Like political corruption? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know for a fact. I to say it would be, to me, it would be an illegal thing. It would be like uh, accusing somebody. Yeah. So far from the police, I've got nothing but respect. Okay. The, the younger cops have been sweet. I haven't seen the oil. Well, I can't say I didn't see the older cops. I have a good feeling they were in the water when I was going through my thing with those guys, you know? Oh, really? Yeah. Which is good. You know, I'm not even worried about it because if you're a cop and you're in the water, then I should be protected. Right, but were they in the water on the clock or just in the water surfing? Never know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this guy knows who I'm talking about because I said bye to him before he left. And he was looking at me like, oh, shit. Like, yeah. yeah, bro, I know who you are. Yeah. And I respect you. But at the same time, if there's something illegal going on out there like that, something's going to happen. It's not going to happen for me. It's going to happen for everybody else. I mean, besides, man, like, these guys have been holding it down for so long. And every fucking time I see these guys somewhere else, they're getting so rousted by people. Oh, people really? do not like these people. I've seen one guy getting fucked up by four guys beat up at Santa Clara Rivermouth so bad. And I tried to go over there and stop it. And they told me, you get involved in this thing, we're going to fucking beat your ass. And they were so serious about it. So the Santa Clara guys knew who they wanted. Was. They wanted this guy fucking dead. They were kicking him all over the place. Wow. And I was like, hey, hey, hey. No, you don't fucking know. It's a bay boy. Get the fuck out of here. I didn't know what they're talking about, but and these guys weren't even bigger than me. I felt like I could have taken all four of these guys, but they were so dead set on fucking this guy up so bad. I'm staying away. Crazy. I don't want nothing to do with it. Yeah. I've never seen little white guys that scared me like this. Their eyes were so lit with anger. They're throwing shit, hitting him with the surfboard, beating his ass down. Wow. And then that, the last time I saw something like that with a bay boy was maybe like three years before that in Hawaii. The guy came out the pipe and some small little white guy sat in the channel, wait for this guy to catch a wave in, and shot the board of this guy's face. The guy wiped out and then jumped the guy in the channel and getting little white guy. And this bay boy was like six something, big fucker, merchant marine. And they're pounding the shit out of him. He got to the beach, they didn't stop beating his ass. Every time I saw him, he was getting his ass beat, but he wouldn't listen. Hmm. He just got his ass kicked everywhere. Wow. You know? 
So, um, why, why even hold a place like that down if you have to risk such physical injury everywhere yeah. you go? I mean, they'll fucking see you anywhere and they can't wait to get you. I would have thought that the guy, that the local dudes there were just anonymous elsewhere, you know? No, guys know who these guys are. Yeah. I was there and I was amazed at who I saw in the water. Um, for the listeners of this, how do people get involved? Like, keep do, in mind, some people are local and they can come here and surf, but what about people who are not local? How do people get involved with the movement? What you gotta do is you gotta go and roust up a, a group of guys and go over there. You put guys by the car, guys by the cliff, and guys in the water, and you watch everybody with video camera. Everyone got camera, and you do shifts. After your boys, wow, there's a fucking lot of surf that comes in over there. Have your boys put earplugs in so they can ignore these fucking losers, surf their brains out, come in, and switch off. Don't even confront with these guys. They're vampires, professional vampires. I've never seen vampires so good, even the little kids. They're all well-trained scum. I've never seen vampires like this before in my life. And they know what they're doing, and they don't give a fuck. Hmm. They'll piss you off, you react, you go to jail, and they laugh, and your family suffers too. How do people get involved who aren't local? Like go, go to the Aloha Point Surf Club page. Okay. Like it, and gather up with groups of guys from there. Okay. But bring your group too. I mean, don't expect to just go there by yourself. Go there with a group of two or three people, so you can already guarantee it. And then you find the other guys that are involved. There's these group of guys called the Man Wars, and have started this organization on purpose to fucking take this place down. Where do they have like Facebook pages and all that stuff? No, I'm not gonna let anybody know who they are. But they're okay. on the they're on the Aloha Point Surf Club page. They're called Man Wars. Okay. And we work together as a group, and uh, you're gonna find out who the Man Wars are, and they're gonna go down to the beach and they're working packs of twenty. And because you guys don't want to fucking be cool with your rules, we don't fucking believe your rules apply to anybody anymore. Supposed to show up by yourself? No, bro. We're not showing up by yourself because you guys take shits in people's bags and fucking threaten them with litigation. Not gonna happen anymore. We're gonna go there with 20 deep, piss you off, fuck you, keep it legal, and leave. Yeah. You know, if, if we could go by ourselves, fine, but you know what? That's not what happened with me. You guys threatened, with, threatened me with all kinds of shit before I could even touch the water. Yeah. And I did everything I could for you, so you know what? You guys wanna be hot, ole? Fine. Guess what? Your fucking card got revoked. It's, that's the people's card, and that ain't your fucking cliff. Sweet. Yeah. I sent a couple of emails and Facebook messages in hope of interviewing someone who represents the Bay Boys, but I've yet to hear a response. If anyone listening would like to speak for the Bay Boys or the local Lunata Bay surfers, please get a hold of me. We'd love to share your side of the story. Our email address is hello at surfsplendorpodcast.com or on social media at surfsplendor. Thanks for sharing your story, Chris. We've posted all the relevant links to this story on surfsplendorpodcast.com. There's also a comment section where I encourage you to share your thoughts on this story or maybe your relevant experience with surfing Lunata. And now, Surf News with Scott Bass for February 4th, 2014. No! Welcome everybody down the line. Surf Talk Radio. Uh, Scott Bass and David Scales with you. David, of course, from surfsplendorpodcast.com. And uh, of course, you can uh, listen and follow along with uh, this podcast as well on Down the Line Radio. 
Com. So, David, welcome. It's been two weeks. Welcome and uh, looking forward to a great show. It's great to be back. Was that your voice on the intro right there? No, that was from the classic North Shore. That was one of the classic scenes from the North Shore yeah, the movie. It sounded like you, though. Oh. Did you have a cameo or did you do voiceover work no, for them? No, no, I wish. Oh, dang. That would have been good. These are some of the... When we were doing um, the show many, many years ago at Surfer Magazine, we had all these like one-liner drops that yeah, we used. You yeah, know? yeah. Here's another one. Just, uh, just listen up to this one. Let's see. There's a force in the universe that makes things happen. And all you have to do is get in touch with it. You know where that's from? Do <laughs> you know what movie that's I from? I have no clue. Okay, one more chance for you listeners out there. You ready? There's a force in the universe that makes things happen. And all you have to do is... Get in touch with it. Is it a surf movie? It's not a surf movie. I'm just going to leave it out there and let uh, listeners wow. shoot us an email if you think you know where that classic movie. It's a classic movie. I'm just going to Shazam it and then get the answer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Replay it. So do you, want me to, do you want me to give it to you? Do you want me to let the audience know? I can wait. Okay. If you want to you get some, like, tweet it or something, you know? Yeah, we'll tweet it later. So. Okay, cool. Find out the best there on that um, classic line from a classic movie. So in the last two weeks, there's been some swell, there's been some news, but we got catch up to do from previous our previous show, All right. I would say, right? Sure, man. Dude, so I, um, as a lead into this episode, I just played my interview with Chris Taloa, who's involved with the Lunata Bay protest. And so um, for the people who are listening to this via Scott's show down the line, if you'd like to hear that, you could go over to Surf Splendor Podcast and just listen to the first 30 minutes of that episode. The rest of the episode's the exact same as this. We simulcast it. But as a bumper into this episode, I put my interview with Chris Taloa. Yeah, I would just recommend that you do what David just suggested. Go listen to the Chris Taloa interview. It's fascinating. I listened to it this morning. I found it very, very interesting and um, definitely you know, percolated you know, some emotion. Yeah, I mean, the guy is passionate. And, and that, that, um, the situation there has been going on forever. And I think people just avoid Lunata Bay to avoid the localism. And so they're, they don't necessarily have a lot of ire for it because they're just not exposing themselves to it. Chris is somebody who lives there and wanted to surf there and avoided it for 12 years, but his brother got involved in a scuffle there, which, you know, he was kind of forced to, um, kind of be involved with it because of that. And then he just decided he was going to surf there after a while. And his life kind of crossed paths with the Lunata Bay boys in a number of different ways, once in Hawaii, a couple times here. And so he's decided to put his foot down and to kind of spearhead the charge and the protest to open up Lunata Bay to the public. <coughs> um, but man, he's got a lot of uh, passion for the, for the whole thing. It's yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah, it's a really, really cool interview you did, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Cool, thanks. So that's exciting. Um, I noticed on, for those listeners who aren't nearby, who can't necessarily go surf it, if you'd like to get involved in the cause, Aloha Point Surf Club on Facebook is a great way to do it. Just follow Aloha Point. I'll make sure to post a link to them on Surf Splendor's Facebook page. But Aloha Point does a good job of just kind of um, compiling all the media that, that exists. The Huffington Post did an article on Lunata Bay, um, different news sources. They kind of compile all that and post it there. And other people who go visit Lunata, they'll post photos on Aloha Points page. And so um, they'll, I'm sure they'll post this interview 
on their page. So just follow them and you can kind of keep track of everything that's going on with Aloha Point, a.k.a. And, Lunata Bay. And, and David, as you know, and many of the listeners know, we, we uh, touched on the subject at length last the last show we did. Right. So um, that Chris uh, Taloa interview is sort of a follow-up. It is, to yeah. that, but it also enlightened me quite a bit, and it gave me a fresh perspective yeah. from from Chris, and and it gave me some understanding as to why he's so um, adamant and passionate about exposing this um, hypocrisy. Totally. Um, have you ever seen him surf? By the way, I know of him. I don't. I can't say that I've seen him surf. I've probably seen him in the water, you know, in Hawaii or something. Um, one of my favorite when I was a kid, one of my favorite or a teenager, one of my favorite surf videos that I used to watch was Voluptuous Snapping Turtle Productions, um, and he had a segment in there, and he was shredding, like right, standing up, like I said in the interview, upright on a bodyboard, both feet on the bodyboard. No fins or nothing kind of added to the bodyboard, but he would get drive out of it. Like he'd drop in literally at back door, like drive off the bottom, get shacked and get spit out. Really, really crazy stuff. So I'm going to post, I found some YouTube stuff of him. Nothing that I remember that was as crazy as what I remember, but still definitely um, worth watching. So. Yeah. And I know that um, Chris, uh, Chris, you know, to just be put it bluntly, you know, he's kind of a heavy, um, in North on the North Shore, yeah. you know, I mean, he grew up with, you know, the Kainoa McGee's and all of these heavy guys, and um, he's just somebody that you don't want to cross paths with. You know, it wouldn't be smart, right? You know, um, and and but he's a fair guy. It's it's just you know, there's many many guys like Chris where it's like, look, you know what? He put in his time, he's paid his dues, and he's not going to put up with too much. And you want to be on his good side, not his bad side. Totally. Um, I saw something on Facebook too. Somebody who's um, Kind of an acquaintance of mine, Mark Moreno from Huntington Beach. He was an ex-pro surfer in the 90s. But DJ Mark Moreno? DJ Mark Moreno. Yes. He posted something on Aloha Point's wall. Um, I almost contacted him for an interview, but then I thought, I don't know that it's really going to add a lot to the episode. I could just tell his story. But he was saying that you know, uh, a number of years ago, he and some of the other Huntington Beach guys went and surfed Lunata Bay. And um, the locals there kind of started harassing them, trying to like, uh, they were yelling at him basically and just trying to intimidate him. And Mark and the other guys just laughed at him and surfed circles around him. You know, the locals there weren't necessarily ripping and Mark knows how to surf and the other guys knew how to, Huntington guys knew how to surf. So they just kind of like went about surfing circles around him and left unscathed. No violence happened. They just got yelled at. Shortly thereafter, Mark's back in Huntington Beach surfing the pier and he sees the main instigator from Lunata Bay in the water. The Lunata Bay local notices Mark, makes eye contact with him, immediately puts his head down and starts paddling towards 9th Street. Like, uh-oh, I'm now at this guy's local spot. And Huntington, there's 200 guys who are locals and who all, all stand up for one another, you know? And so Mark basically started shouting at the guy and was like, yeah, dude, you better beat it. You're trying to cuss me out at your local spot. Now you're here. Beat it. And the guy did. He put his tail between his legs and paddled to 9th Street. So, well, and that's just sort of a summary of what this whole thing is all about. And the problem that Chris had with these guys, you know, is that there's a true a double standard that's involved. And, um, you know, and that just touches the surface. But... But I would urge you to listen to surfsplendorpodcast.com, this episode with Chris. And it, um, 
again, it gives you a lot of insight and some backstory into how this protest came about. Right. And it's important to know that. It is. And it goes on throughout the world, you know, there's, and certain spots are localized legitimately, I think, and without violence, but, um, but there's others that probably aren't. And so this is kind of a good blueprint for if, if this is going on elsewhere, kind of learn from this and see how you can stand up for yourself, you know, or, or be able to surf spots that maybe you're prohibited from unjustly. Uh, moving on, I've got a little product review, unsponsored product review that I would like to share with our listeners. <laughs> I'm calling BS on this already. It's not sponsored, dude, I promise. <laughs> a product review. No. Um, I've got a few myself. Do you? <laughs> no, this is totally unsolicited. <laughs> I am calling such BS on this right now. Okay, this better be legit. It's totally legit, and it's um, <laughs> superficial compared to the Lunata conversation, but I just wanted to share it with our listeners. Is this like some kind of hair gel or something? <laughs> no. What do you got going on? That's salt water. <laughs> I normally don't surf when we hang out, but this is salt water. Oh, man. Um, so, no. By the way, before you do this, yes. I need to say this. Okay. We are broadcasting live from the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center, uh, their studio here. And we're lucky enough, David and I, and Surf Splendor and DownlineRadio.com, we are lucky enough that they um, let us broadcast from here uh, gratis. Totally. For free. Totally. And so we want to thank the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. They're in San Clemente. If you get a chance to swing by here, you would be uh, remiss not to do so. It's a fabulous facility with uh, tons of uh, resources at your fingertips. Surfboards and media and books. And come by and say hi and support the cause. We're sitting in a room that has archived probably every single surf print publication ever. I mean... Along both walls. Right over there is Voluptuous, the VHS. Oh, nice. I'm going to have to borrow that tonight. I'm telling you. Um, and then it's a museum of sorts for surfboards, right? Yes. And yeah. then I know last week they did a, um, a meet and greet with Greg Long, was talking about a movie that he's involved in. Did you come to that? No, I didn't. I'm on the board of directors here, and they, they, they have a bunch of events that they yeah. put on here. That's one of the many. They also have one of the largest, probably the largest surfing photographic archive Um and it's just, it, like I said, tons of resources here and uh, a great place to stop by. Stick your head in and say hi. They want to see you. They want you to come by and say hello. Yeah. And it's here in San Clemente. Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. Okay. Go ahead with your... Uh, product review. Product review. Listeners who want the insight into best wetsuit on the market right now, in my opinion, yes. Hurley Fusion. <laughs> no joke. I'm so, just laughing because I just I'm just trying to figure out how this whole thing happened. I'll tell you how, how many it free suits did you get? Just one. Let me say this before you go into this. Yeah, I think that most, in fact, all of the wetsuits on the market are going to do a good job of keeping you warm. They're all really, really quality wetsuits, um, and it's really about a matter of fit. Now, I didn't mean to trip up your product review. You go ahead. I'm not going to say a word. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. 
more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInJobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You can say all the words you want, but there's a reason why I bring this up. I agree with you that there are, there's great suits on the market. I love Hurley, by the way. And I have worn pretty much every wetsuit on the market that there is. Okay. From the small little brands, Buell, Boz out of Peru. I've had Bunch of Quicksilver suits, bunch of every brand basically over the years. All right. And um, I just got this new Hurley suit and it is arguably, I think every year the suits are better than the year before. So this is the best one I've worn. But the reason why I bring it up is it's a 4.3 and it's 280 bucks. They only make one line, it's called Fusion. So other brands, they have kind of like an entry tier, a mid tier, a top tier, yeah. whatever. Hurley only makes one wetsuit, the Fusion wetsuit. They make it in a 3-2 and a 4-3, but you, it's equivalent to the top tier of the other brands. And the top tier of the other brands, as you know, sell for 400 bucks and up. So this suit for 280 bucks is unreal. And so um, I just let, think like, I'm not sponsored by them. This isn't a paid advertisement. It's just, I put it on, I was like, thinking it's kind of cheap it might be the equivalent to like the lower tier one from another brand no best suit i've had ever warmest suit i've had flexible like it's awesome so i'm psyched well i'm, I'm glad for that, that you're psyched on the suit i'm yeah. glad that it's a, a a nice price point and um i'll say this that um everything that hurley does is quality yeah that's sort of bob's dna bob hurley's dna and those guys, um, I would expect nothing but the finest. I mean, if you look at their phantom board chart, everything they touch is of the highest quality or they won't do it. Right. And, and if I wasn't already taken care of by O'Neill, which takes care of me, um, I would go Hurley. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they just came back into the market. They were out of the wetsuit market for a while. Right. This is their first sort of um, coming back into the wetsuit market. And I know... Um, those guys, Evan Slater and those guys well enough to know that everything they touch is super high quality and they're not going to put something out there that's lame. And well, I, so may, it's no surprise to me that you're stoked on your Hurley wetsuit. My understanding is that I talked to some other kids, <coughs> some other kids about it, and they said Hurley wetsuits that they had in the past sucked. Like when they first came out back in the day. But like you said, they went away for a while and I think they've re-entered just like with... Good being, intentions. Yeah, yeah and I, I don't know if they're just keeping the price point low to gain market share initially, but the suits are fantastic. And yeah. if you need, if you're in the market for a suit, now's the time to buy. Under three hundred bucks, best suit on the market. It's a good call. So moving on. I like it. I liked your product review. Thanks, man. Uh, what do you got? What do I got? Well, I just got back from snowboarding. I've been snowboarding in Utah. We do it every Super Bowl weekend. My family goes snowboarding with a bunch of other families, and uh, we had a great time. And um, the snow is insane, super killer, fresh track powder. And um, it, it feels good to be back home and um, 
with the dogs and everything. You Did know? you get to surf during that kind of swell that came before? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've been surfing my brain out. Good. Um, super surfed out, caught tons of waves. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's it, that was an insane run. You know, for how bad it's been, it was equally as good for about two and a half or three weeks. Totally. And now it seems like we're sort of back in the doldrums. From that swell, um, Rincon was pumping, and I surfed Rincon. Did you? Yeah. Did you get it good? Not Saturday, but the Saturday before. Okay. Yeah, it was super fun. It was crowded. Yeah, you know, it's always crowded, but um, super fun Rincon. Did you see the video Connor Coffin's yeah. camp put out? That's insane. The drone footage. There's some no, drone okay. footage. I saw that that's too. Really cool with super good music. I don't know who put it out. Um, yeah. But it's well, a YouTube drone footage of. I, I did see that, but Connor Coffin's video that his filmer actually made of just him, four minutes in, at Rencon, did yeah. you see that? I may have. You would remember. Oh, okay. Do you want to know why? Because um, the no. song yes. selection. Oh, oh yes, the Almond Brothers, right? The Almond Brothers whipping post, dude. Nice. That's yeah. so sick. I actually sent Connor Coffin a little YouTube uh, link of some Almond Brothers, old Almond Brothers, like Dwayne Almond. Oh, really? You know, Greg, Dwayne's the died in 71 or something yeah yeah and uh well they they posted an almonds brothers like live performance on their blog that might have been the one i sent them. it might have been i sent him one that i found because I, I scour youtube for old almond brothers yeah footage, which is sort of sad but yeah a little true. bit <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah so that's cool maybe that maybe that's the one that i mean they have whole shows like they have like you know Three-hour shows on YouTube from yeah. some like 1977. Well, it must have penetrated because they then used they they had that blog post, but then they used a song in one of their videos. My favorite comment on the video was on SurferMag.com. Somebody wrote, "Most boring thing ever to watch. Annoying hipster music as well." Which could Hip, be hipster. That's <laughs> it not could, hipster music. And it, how could that be the most boring thing to watch? Connor Coffin at Rincon is akin to. J, uh, Tom Curran at Jay Bay almost, you I know? know, it's well, like, this is a classic example of the hater net, you know Yeah, I mean? totally. You know, you could post up, you know, Santa Claus giving away millions of dollars to everybody and there'd be somebody that would be hating on it and, um, he must hate puppies as well. There's a lot of insecure people that find, uh, the internet a place to, you know, manifest their insecurities. I thought it was pretty funny. I'm like, most boring thing ever to watch? What are, what are you watching? You know? And secondly, hipster music. I'm like, what? <laughs> Did you accidentally put this on the They must not be watching wrong? Finding Sasquatch or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Finding Bigfoot. Totally. We did some Squatch hunting in Utah. And, um, I got to say, I think Utah is Squatch country. Is it? Yeah. Any, uh, what, did you find anything? No, but we have a bunch of questions for Bobo on Finding Bigfoot, he's one of the characters on there. Like, okay. like do the female squatches in their gestation period, how long is it? And can you drink squatch milk? Like you could drink cow milk, you know? And uh, there's a bunch of biological issues that we have, uh, we need clarified. Those questions came up on the hunt? Yes. Interesting. Of course, yeah. Well, you know, long hours in the dark hunting for squatches and stuff comes up. Interesting. Yeah. Do, you, uh, do you remember the comedian Mitch Hedberg? Yes. Love that guy. Is he dead? Yeah, he died. Oh, drug dead. overdose back in the day. Right. One of my favorite one-liners from him was like, um, maybe maybe Bigfoot is blurry, and it's not the photographer's fault. <laughs> <laughs> There's a giant blurry Sasquatch roaming the forest. Is he the guy that has a real mundane kind yeah. of like, attack, like his tone is like yeah, real, yeah. like kind totally. of stonerish? 
full stoner yeah. and it was just one-liners yeah, that yeah. didn't relate to the next right. one-liner right. you just like throw that Zingers, out yeah. and then move on to the next super you know? funny yeah totally that's too bad i didn't know he passed away yeah it's old news well, there's so. been some sad um, you know this heroin thing with philip seymour hoffman is just horrible so sad yeah um so Way to bring it down david yeah thanks <laughs> <laughs> go back to the hurley wetsuit let's hear more um so Vulcan pipe pro yeah so we're in the midst of that there's a lay day today yesterday uh -huh. was kind of the day two and really a big day and yeah. it looks like they'll be able to wrap it up tomorrow probably here's my thoughts on that yeah. i watched a lot of that this morning some of the heats and demand i watched some of it live yesterday the one thing that's sort of um that sort of is hanging out there that's like low low lying fruit i guess i should say for me is this whole um Evan Geiselman takes down John John Florence sort of narrative, yeah. which I don't find that to be true. Look, you're in a four-man heat. Um, Evan Geiselman and Parker Coffin advanced out of the heat. John John Florence did not advance. But my thing, my take on that is, look, Evan and Parker got great waves, but it's not like they were out there like trying to stop John John Florence or hunting him down or holding him off waves or, you know what I mean? Like they surfed, they caught better waves and surfed them better, but it's not like they... It wasn't like a boxing match where they went out there and like beat John John Florence down and made it so, you know, they're the new champions. And that's the narrative that a lot of the press is putting out there. Right. A lot of stuff I saw is like Geiselman beats John John Florence. Well, it's not really. It should say Evan Geiselman caught the two best waves and surfed them really great in advance, and John John didn't. It wasn't like this mono mono right. narrative that you that they're putting out there, which I find sort of um, annoying, sad. You yeah. know, just like it's lame. It's just not true. It's insincere, is what it is. Yeah, and I think the two waves that Geiselman got, if people haven't seen them, do yourself a favor and watch them. They are incredible. Really heroin drops into like spinning barrels and he's kind of off balance from the heroin drop and then getting blown out. Um, John John, like you said, like you said, never really got the waves that he needed. And then even on the beach when Evan was interviewed, he acknowledged, he said specifically nine times out of 10, it would not go that way. Meaning nine times out of ten, John John would beat us all. Let's put it into perspective. John John's had probably twenty different thirty-minute heats out there in his life now. He's entitled to an off one. You know exactly, what I mean? Exactly like, right. Exactly. It's like the ocean just doesn't work in your favor one hundred percent of the time. He's had an unbelievable uh, percentage of it working in his favor. So he had one off heat, no biggie. Yeah. yeah, it's probably the only heat at Pipe he hasn't advanced out of in his career. So, I mean, he's yeah. pretty much in the final every time. Yeah, totally. So, I agree. Uh, a couple of things that I wanted to point out of the event, nothing that's um, in terms of career makers or changers, but just interesting things. Bruce, pa Bruce Irons was in the wild card heat. He showed up with 12 minutes left on the clock. <laughs> <laughs> that tells you all you need to know. So, that's worth noting. Uh, I don't think he caught a wave of consequence at all. I think he had like one kind of closeout. Uh, but and you want to know why funny. you know Volcom dropped Bruce Irons? That says it all right there. But it's kind of funny, and I like that about Bruce. You know, I, I would also prefer to see him surf great waves at pipe, but it made me laugh. The second thing was Coco Ho was in the commentary booth for a few minutes, and um, one of the things she mentioned is that she had some boards. I think eight boards being shaped for her by Matt Biolis. For the snapper event that's coming up, she said her eight boards were only eight out of 100 boards that he's shaping for that event. Oh, yeah. 100 yeah. boards that oh, he's yeah. shaping for the sure. snapper event. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, that's that doesn't surprise me at all. Crazy, yeah. though, right? Yeah. 
it's cool. I mean, I'm stoked for Matt. And, you know, Matt's probably at the top of his game right now and has been for about the past five years. And, um, I mean, he's the man right now. You know what I mean? Totally. He's one of, like, five. You know? Totally. Like, you, you know, you're, you're probably looking at, especially in Hawaii, DHD and JS and um, and Matt, right? Those are sort of the top three that are coming to the top. And then, of course, the Channel Islands. Yeah, brand, which Channel is, You don't know who's shaping those boards. It's just, like, I don't even know. I think that... I think Dane Reynolds is shaping them. <laughs> but, um, and then, you know, there's, uh, you know, a plethora of sort of, I don't want to say B-level, but just guys that aren't quite as popular right now. But but guys that are insane shapers, guys yeah. like um, Simon Anderson, you know, right. shapes a lot of boards for those guys. And um, and John Pizel, who shapes John John's boards. I'm sure he's got guys riding his boards over there too, so. Yeah. Um, it's interesting though, like, you would expect Matt to shape 100 boards for surfers coming into town for the lowers event and you would expect dhd to be shaping 100 boards for the snapper event for people coming into town what i'm surprised by is how many boards matt's shaping for an event that's on the other side of the world yeah that is that is true you know you also got to look at it like he's probably shaping those boards for the australian leg which means uh, Margaret River, which is going to be a totally different board. Sure, you know? sure. And um, Bells, which requires who knows what kind of board Bells requires. You don't right. know until the day you you know your heat. I mean, that's a really difficult wave to shape a surfboard. It needs to be wider. It needs to carry speed through flat spots. You know, Bells is a challenging wave for shapers. I'm yeah. sure, sure yeah. of it. So I thought that was interesting. That's cool. Yeah, no, I love it. You know, it's I think the Vulcan Pipe Pro to me is like, okay, this is, you know, they always say, look, the pipeline events got um, whatever it is, eight or 12 or 20 pipeline specialists in it, the Billabong Pipeline Masters. And um, this is really all of those quote unquote pipeline specialists in the event, which qualifies those top guys to get into the Pipeline Masters. So what we have here is all of those guys, but look who else is in the mix. Kelly Slater's in this event. For the first time, I think. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Chris Ward. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting come the finals. Let's see um, who makes the finals and how many are the local guys and how many are just guys that are, um, you know, not the quote-unquote pipeline specialists that call it their home. Right. I I love seeing guys like Tori Meister, guys like Ola, Elio Graham, charging, you know, and I feel like they are incredibly talented, but they never, and they'll push through a few heats, but linking together four successful heats in a row is area that's usually reserved for Damian Hobgood and the CT guys, you know? Um, so I don't know. We'll see what happens. I yeah. agree with you. Yeah. Uh, Jamie O'Brien, by the way, pipe specialist ripping dude. Yeah. yeah. He, he didn't make it out of a closeout yesterday, but the way that he surfed it, I just was like, blown away by they gave him a four something and then later they gave ezekiel Lau a five something for a wave that i thought was much lesser uh he made it farther and almost made it out jamie just got closed out but when you watch jamie weaving through the barrel on his backhand it is like nobody else really it's crazy yeah he's incredible out there and he, everything that's you know that's been written and said, all you have to do is watch them and just your jaw drops. It is interesting though, um, the scoring. Yeah. You know, because um, they are scoring a little higher for a lot of waves that aren't made. Whereas in the past, especially at the Billabong Pipeline Masters, you can get an incredible wave, but if it pinches on you, you get a two. Right. You know, but here they seem to be giving you points for travel time in the barrel and your approach to the barrel, even if you don't make it out. Because Kelly got like a seven on his final wave in that last heat. 
that back door that grew and got larger. Yeah. But he didn't make it out. Yeah. I mean, that would have been a 3.6 or something in the billabong. And they gave him a 7.1. Yeah, I noticed that the judging scale just seems to be higher. And I don't know if it's different judges or if it has to do with it being a four-man heat. Maybe that affects their scale. You know, I don't know. I'm not against it. I'm just noticed that, that they are scoring, even if you don't come out of the barrel, they're Agreed. scoring for time and how you've done inside the barrel up to the point that you lose it. Yeah, nothing seems skewed to me blatantly, but I agree with you. It's definitely different than the CT event. Um, I got a couple emails. Should we do yeah. emails? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, Adam N. left a website comment uh, on our last episode. He said, another great episode. I really enjoyed you and Scott discussing the state of surfing, crowds, and pleasure. I grew up... I think this was in reference to the Lunata conversation. Yeah. He said, I grew up surfing crowded, hungry, dog wave starved east coast now i live in rich norcal but i run into crowding issues and the same and the reason is my attitude when i expect anyone to behave a certain way i am on my way to disappointment i liked your point about sharing with a few good friends i have the best sessions on those unexpected days when my expectations are low and it all comes together that's epic i look forward to your next show and the next unexpected moment all right, cool. Well, I, I've got one that was sent to us about um, a month ago from Mike. And he says, hey, Scott and David, as a previous regular listener to Down the Line Talk Radio, this new format is a great step forward in large part to the long form format and the addition of David. You two are a strong pair. The rational and smart banter is compelling. There is need for surf talk that addresses subjects the normal surf media will not discuss and a need for long-form talk around pro-competitive surfing. I enjoy ASP talk as I'm a fan and there's nowhere else to get that info that is not a PR piece. So please keep it up because remember, the surf media only discusses quote-unquote approved messaging. Um, I don't like too much lifestyle talk, if at all, though we do need to shame folks who consistently and blatantly drop in on others. Keep up the good work. Mike. Nice. One more. George T. emailed me at um, hello at surfsplendorpodcast.com and he said, one thing in particular, in the most recent surf news episode, you mentioned the UK and Europe. My heart skipped a beat. I enjoy all the Hawaiian and US news, but there are so many more stories out there to tell. It would be awesome if you could one day make it over the Atlantic to Europe to record an episode or two. The surf culture is very diverse. From the Severn Boar to Irish big wave surfing, the hearts of the heartlands of France, Spain, and Portugal, and even the river surfing here in the heart of Munich. This list makes it seem like we spend most of our time surfing in rivers. This isn't the case. Ireland is particularly one of the most exciting frontiers in surfing, in my opinion. Um, surfers like Tom Lowe and Mickey Smith are really pushing the boundaries out there, and it's amazing to see. I personally am a London-based surfer. I take every opportunity to get down to Cornwall for a surf or over to France or Morocco, but it's never often enough. Your podcasts are a great escape from the daily grind, and I'm grateful for uh, you putting them together. Cool, man. Well, um, I, my good friend Johnny O is in Morocco right now, and he just sent me... Um, some emails yesterday, and he's been surfing there. And you know, that, that Hercules swell, the first one, I guess there's another one right now. Oh, okay. But the first really powerful European swell, or not the first, but the one they called Hercules, uh, did a lot of damage to the sand in Morocco. You oh, know, really? If you don't know Morocco, it's basically Baja. It's like killer right points, a bunch of them. And it's a beautiful place and a great surf trip, and I uh, highly recommend you go there. 
especially if you're a regular foot. Um, but anyway, so the sand um, has been messed up by just too much powerful surf coming in, you know, and so yeah. they're hoping for almost a calm down situation so the sand and the sandbars can resettle themselves and, and get back in order. How's the um, conversion rate and affordability in Morocco? Super affordable. Okay, Stu cool. Stupid affordable. A lot of European surfers go down there. A lot of them will like rent combi vans and, and get them. Uh, they'll get on a ferry and go over to Africa from, I guess it's Spain, and then um, drive down. And Is it it's safe? Totally safe. Really? Super killer, yeah. It's super safe. It's nice. unreal. Um, there's a lot of great history on Morocco. It's a, it's a, um, it's a kingdom. You know, there's a king there. And uh, it's a stable Muslim country that's very, um, you know, forward-thinking and moderate. Nice. Yeah. Well, part of that Hercules swell um, set off uh, Nazare or Nazir, however it's pronounced, in Portugal, right? Yeah, yeah. So they just released a couple of waves. Two guys caught waves out there for the massive swell. Yeah. Garrett McNamara was one. And the other was actually a uh, United Kingdom surfer. In relation to George T's email, um, and his name's Andrew Cotton, and I guess he's got a con his wave is a contender for the biggest wave of the year or whatever. Did you see it? I did see that wave, and I would suggest to you that that's the largest wave I've ever seen ridden at at Nazir, and it's a massive wave. And for I'm one of those guys that's like, yeah, huge wave, huge open ocean swell, Nazir, but does it ever really break top to bottom? You know, that's that's sort of. Um, you know, the take that a lot of people, myself included, have on it is that, you know, it's sort of roly-poly. It's sort of like snowboarding or skiing down an avalanche. You know, yeah, it's sort of crumbling at the top and stuff. But I'll say to you that Andrew Cotton's wave from, was it yesterday or the 2nd of February, I think, two days ago. Um, although it's roly-poly and crumbly, that one, that one's di on a different level. And, um, and it's a huge-ass wave, you know. Now... It doesn't look um, necessarily um, fun. It doesn't look like... I question whether they would be doing it if there wasn't a bounty. Right. That's what the problem I have with it. I don't think... They're just doing it to get famous. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's not the sincerest, truest form of, of, of surfing. You right. Know? And, and so it's sort of like, hey, look at me. You know? And I don't know. To me, you know... I'd rather see the guys that are out there doing surfing jaws because they love to do it rather than, hey, I want to get famous. This is my chance. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to Nazir when it's 80 foot. And even though it's hideous and we could die, we're just going to do it so we say we did it. And, and you only catch one wave. You catch one wave. You dodge on a jet ski and you're dodging waves and it's bumpy and it's choppy. It's horrible. It's yeah. hideous. Did it's huge, but it's hideous. I want to I wanna make sure I saw the same wave that you're talking about. The one that I saw, he goes right on. Yeah. But he and there's gets, that big kind of closeout coming like at him, right? Like, but he gets mowed down by the white I just saw the still image. Oh, I didn't okay. see the, the video. I, I watched the video this morning. It's like we talked about with Garrett McNamara's wave three or four months ago where he doesn't actually finish the ride. He's kind of making an angle, diagonal angle down the face towards the shoulder and he gets mowed down by the whitewash, so it's an incomplete ride. Oh, incomplete ride? Incomplete Throw it ride, out. Dude. Throw it out and wait for the next big swell. Try again so, later. So people are saying it's the biggest wave ever ridden, which may be, but it's not completed. It's the same it old... It wasn't ridden. It was attempted. We're going to have to have Laird chime it in on this attempted. one. It was attempted. It was not ridden. It was attempted. But even... You've got to complete the ride. you got to kick out, throw your hands in the air and say, hey, I did it. And I don't think... I, I didn't hear Andrew say, 
like, hey, I completed that. I deserve a title or anything right, like that. Right. But the media is saying it's the biggest wave ridden. Andrew actually was saying it was huge and almost unsurfable. Lots of bump, lots of chop. Um, and yeah, it's stupid. Basically, <laughs> it's stupid. Let's just cut to the chase. Like, why? It's what it's, is the upside? The, Tell me the upside. What's the, the upside? Im, the imagery, it's super photogenic. Yeah. And the imagery that comes out gets worldwide press attention. That's what so, it is. This yeah. is an attention grab. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, but just call it what it is. You know, like... You know, it's, it's a bounty hunt. They're, I don't know. You know, I'm trying to start. I'm trying to understand why I have a problem with it. And yeah, I'm not sure where my insecurity is in this. Um, I'm stoked they're having fun. I guess they're having fun. I guess that's what it comes down to. For me, it's like, are you having fun? You know, what's the what is your main motivation? You know, like what's the true motivation here? And, you know, if it's to get attention, you know, OK, at least. At least he's not, you know, roaming into a schoolyard with a gun to get attention. So I guess it's good on that level. Yeah, I don't have as much of a problem with it. Um, I, it's not for me. I don't know if I have a problem with it, but I'm sort, I, I'm sort of um, trying. I'm struggling trying to understand it. Right. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't seem like surfing. It's it's riding a huge wave. But even even paddling big wave surfing isn't like surfing that you and I know. Yeah, but I I, I get. It, but it is in that you're on your belly. You're trying to catch a wave. You're getting that rush to your feet. You're doing those. You know, and, you're, and then you're kicking out, you know. What, what they're doing is, is is they're riding huge waves. I don't know. So that's, I, I don't know. But I, you just define... I, I really don't know. You just define towing... I'm being a hypocrite. But you just define towing surfing versus paddle and surfing, but not how that spot in Portugal is different than Jaws towing surfing, you know. I just question whether they would do it if there wasn't money on the line. And so same could be said for Chloe and Dino, you know, or yeah, you're right. So you're right. I, I'm literally, as we talk, I'm trying to excavate sure. what my point of view is on it and why, and I don't have a problem. I have a, I have a problem with much larger, more important issues in the world than yeah. some guy riding a wave. I'm stoked that he's having fun. Go get it. I'm yeah. not holding it against him. I'm sure Andrew Cotton's a great guy. I'm just, I would love it if they would just tell, tell us their motivation. I'm sure you know, if he reached out. How cool would it be if they went, you know what, I'm trying to get attention and make a lot of money because this is the career that I'm trying to, you know, and that'd yeah. be like, cool. And, yeah, yeah. and maybe that's the obvious thing. And maybe it's like, duh, Scott, figure it out. That's what they're doing. You know, move on. Yeah. Um, I don't know Andrew. I've never heard his name before. I've, what, I've heard, he's been, he's been in this realm for a bit. Has he? Yeah. Oh yeah. I think it's rad that um, those guys don't necessarily have the attention and acclaim that, uh, 13 year old kid doing air reverses from Orange County has, but they are still risking their lives and spending the money to get on the plane and go to Portugal just to do it for one wave. I think that's a pretty noble pursuit, you know, um, because I don't know that there's as much money and fame attached to it as maybe. Well, there seems. will be. I mean, you know, if you, if you win the double XL award, I'm sure, you know, you're looking at 10,000, 15,000, 20,000, whatever it is. It used to be like 60,000, but that's one person. Right. Well, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to be that one guy. But look at all the guys. Look at Grant. Let me ask you this. Look, yeah. if you're surfing Nazir, if you go to Nazir and you're like, yeah, it's 80 feet, you don't think it's probably 8 to 10 foot in a perfect right point somewhere in Morocco? Wouldn't you just rather go there and surf killer? I personally would. But I remember talking to Donald Brink when I was doing that episode with him, and he used to be a big wave, ride big waves in South Africa. And he was saying at that time in his life, one big wave was more important than 50 small waves like that one. Yeah, maybe that's the problem. I'm trying to impose you know my own sort of um, vision of of what you should do, which is stupid. You can go do whatever you want. Maybe and that's maybe where 
I just don't. I, I would rather go surf eight to ten foot perfect right points. And I'm sure too. there was a spot down the beach somewhere that was pretty good. You know, a couple five hours away or whatever. I have zero interest in ever surfing Mavericks, Waimea, any of those big wave spots because to me, I agree with you. I just it doesn't feel like my surfing experience. You know, I have a very hard time relating to it. It's amazing to see and amazing to watch, and and more power to them. I'm not trying to take anything yeah. away from them. I'm just trying to understand it. Yeah, yeah. I want to get barreled. Me like too. that's my ultimate that's the goal. Ultimate. Yeah. That is the ultimate. Where's the tube? If there's no tube, why am I out there? Um, but there's a couple of big wave things that we should talk about. Um, I just saw a preview for a docu series, <coughs> docu series called Hell and High Water that's going to air on ABC Television in America in the fall of 2014, starring Shane Dorian, Greg Long, Twiggy Baker, Mark Healy, and Ryan Hipwood. It's produced by the same company that produced the Eddie Icow documentary. Yeah, it's Paul Tobleib and Sam George. Yeah. Those are the two guys that are doing it. Yeah. Have Paul's you heard about it? I have, yeah. Okay. They actually, um, I think I saw a thing on Surfline. They did the, the Cortez thing where Greg Long went back out there to right. saddle back up on the horse and try it after he almost died last year. Right. That was one of the episodes for this show. Right. And um, so I've, I've heard a little bit about it through that. That's pretty rad, though, that it's going to be mainstream docu-series on big wave surfing. Yeah, know? no, it's very cool. It's exciting. Sure. Um, and uh, what else you got, dude? That covers the big wave stuff. I don't know if the Mavericks contest ended before. No, we were talking about the Mavericks contest in our last episode, but that wrapped up and they had huge success with that. So that was cool. Yeah, Mavericks was, um, I watched the event. It was a great event to watch. Um, I saw the Healy, you know, the fun, you know, sadly, I guess the fun part is the wipeouts. I know. You know? And the GoPro Footage of the wipeouts, too. Yeah, the first heat I, was incredible. Um, the waves were good here in Southern California that day, and so there was a lot of us that were surfing rather than watching, but I did get home in time and watched the uh, final on live TV on Universal Sports Network, and so on the big screen I got to watch the final. Sort of boring. You know, that's the, the one you know problem from a production standpoint that those guys have that are trying to make this sport um, enticing to the average viewer is that there is so much downtime. Yeah. And uh, it's a little bit boring. Yeah. You know? um, this kind of is uh, a side note, but worth discussing. Um, we were talking about like our surfing experience, right? And it's hard to relate to big wave riding and that sort of thing. I'm going to open up with you, give you a little personal insight into myself right now, Scott. So, um, like I've, I'm 32 years old, right? And I'm from Orange County, grew up riding shortboards. And as I've gotten older and put on a couple of pounds and stuff, I've struggled to maintain my same kind of level of surfing that I did in my twenties and certainly in my teens. And I think I hit that pinnacle a few years back and it's been a slow down climb, downhill, like decline. Yes. And, uh, but my mental awareness or acceptance of that is slower than kind of a reality. And so I haven't been enjoying surfing as much. And I told you last time too, it's like, dude, new year's resolution. I need to surf more. And I didn't realize the reason why I haven't been surfing as much is just that I'm uninspired. I go out there and I underperform and I, I'm bored with my performance. And so it's like, I'm less inclined to go back out, you know? And, um, that episode I did with Donald Brink kind of opened my eyes to riding other surfboards, something other than a standard shortboard thruster. And, um, 
And so I went into my garage and I have some old beaters in there and a single fin and like garage sale boards that have more volume and stuff. And I've been riding a little bit different equipment and just changing my approach to surfing, not trying to rip yeah. every session yeah. and just trying to go out, catch a wave, like trim, bob, weave down the line, you know? Yeah. And it's revitalized my surfing experience. That's cool. I'm glad to hear that. And um, I think you touched on something that's really important. And that is, you know, oftentimes we get stale because of our equipment. You know, and you think about the modern thruster, the high performance shortboard thruster that you would go into Jack's Surf and Sport on Main Street in Huntington Beach and purchase. And that board... Um, is only going to allow you to do certain things. Basically, what it's going to, you're mentally, you're going to go, I want to go down to the bottom and up to the top and then down to the bottom, square up off the bottom, go up to the top, square up off the top. Maybe I get a chance to run out onto the shoulder with the speed and do a roundhouse. And um, there's nothing wrong with that. That's super fun. I love to do that. You love to do that. We all love to do that. But the beauty of some of this other equipment is that it allows you to sort of let the wave dictate mm -hmm. what's happening. And it, and it makes you, it forces you to um, pull back a little bit and not immediately take off and start going, here we go, you know, and, and trying to, you know, get up to speed, if you will. And it, and it allows you to kind of look, okay, here's the board, let me see. And all of a sudden, especially with a single fin, you'll find yourself surfing the middle of the wave rather than down at the bottom and then up to the top. Right. You just kind of hang out on your back foot and let that single fin kind of take you right into the middle of the pocket of the wave, you know, where there's a ton of speed and a ton of energy and then throws you out there with some speed. And um, there's just a lot to be said to, for different approaches. I'm so glad that, that you are taking on this thing and that you're having a good time with it. Yeah. Because all surfers are going to go through this no matter what you ride. Yeah. Putting on that extra five or 10 pounds, you know, and like you're thinking about work, you're thinking about emails, you don't have the amount of intensity it takes to do that off the bottom, off the top surfing that you're talking about on a shortboard. That takes a lot of commitment, you know, and a lot of energy output. And so I agree with you. The single fin thing, like when I got on that, my first couple waves, I was trying to rip on the board, trying to impose my skill set onto the board. And the board was like, no, no, no. Like, you can't make me move. I'm just going to go in where the wave wants me to go and just flow. And so I had to, like, take off my imposing my will on the board and just let the board do what it wanted to do and then respond when it needed to respond. And uh, it really smoothed out my style, too, and everything. Like, I was embarrassed. The first few waves I caught, I was like, dude, I am looking like a fool. I need to scale back a little bit. And so letting the board just kind of do what it wants to do smooths out your style and now i feel like i could jump back on the short board and i will surf that board better just because of my experience on this single fin well there's no doubt about it and uh, i would highly recommend people go to a single fin for four or five sessions to do what you just said which is to sort of refine your style to kind of take away that self-will run riot which is what happens you know i'll catch myself taking off on a wave and immediately just like wanking my exactly. arms to get my board up to speed yeah. and um, it's quite liberating when you pull back when you let go and let the wave dictate the dance well that being said i surfed a super fun session in huntington um like out in the not by the pier just kind of out in the openness and it was an evening session glassy sunset hollow it's like a, almost like a right point break the way the sandbar was and it was hollow and it was me and one other dude basically getting little tubes but on that board, I feel like 
I enjoyed that board for a number of sessions, but then in that session, I found it to be limiting in certain ways. The way the rail is, it's real round, kind of the apex at the middle of the rail, and it wasn't like biting, you know? Like I'd take off at an angle and like <coughs> try to pull in, and it would just kind of slip out of the bottom of the wave. And so it's like I enjoyed the board for a number of sessions and figured out what it's about, but I also figured out the improvements that could be made or a different board that might have been better suited for that. Probably also not my normal short board, but something kind of in between. You know, so it's just, it opened my eyes, you know? Like riding the same equipment all the time had me in such tunnel vision and really stripped away the joy of the, ex of the surfing experience. This kind of opened my eyes again, like, all right, dude, get out of your, your own funk. Try some new stuff. So. Yeah, I, I think every surfer should at least have three boards, you know, in their oh, quiver yeah. that are completely different, you know, and just, it, it's going to just allow you to enjoy the ocean. I was experiencing that, but then I went on the inertia.com uh, and they had just posted an article with Jerry Lopez and I really enjoyed it. And Jerry said some things that I'll read to you now, which um, resonated with me because of that experience. One of the things he said was, the longer you surf, the more you begin to appreciate that pretty much any wave will do. It's not as so much about the actual ride as it is just being there. Just being able to get out there and go through the whole experience. If the waves aren't that good, it's still good fun. I still enjoy it as much as I ever did. So Yeah, and, and you know, I know you know Jerry's a big into stand-up paddling and and I'll tell you what, you know, as much as people hate on stand-up paddling, if there's one thing that um, will keep you in the water when you start to get into your 60s, it's the stand-up paddleboard. And uh, I've seen a lot of older guys really reinvigorate themselves and their, and their surfing lifestyle because of the stand-up paddleboard. And Jerry's one of those guys. And, and, if, and I'm telling you, you don't need any, hardly anything of a wave to have a good time. Yeah. And waves that you used to scoff at, you'll paddle over and just have a blast because you're staying busy. I, I've, the only time I've really did the stand-up paddle thing is in Hawaii, just on the South shore, like at spots that you can't even really surf on a shortboard, just paddle out there and catch a few little waves and watch the reef going by underneath. And it's super fun. Yeah. I question the guys who bring that out at the pier and try to catch sat waves when there's a hundred guys in the lineup. Who, Rocky? Uh, I'm <laughs> not going to name any names, but I will say incidentally related to the Mavericks conversation. Yeah. Did you see that clip? of the stand-up paddler taking off at the peak and almost killing uh, Jamie Mitchell. Was that the morning of? I don't know. I've got it actually handy right here I if you want to see it. I have heard of this, but I have not seen it. Dude, this. we're going to watch it right now if you want to explain it to the viewers. All right. Well, we're at Mavericks, and uh, there's a stand-up paddler paddling into a bomb. Jamie Mitchell. Jamie Mitchell. And the stand-up paddler's deep. He's on the peak. Jamie Mitchell's more on the shoulder. And the stand-up paddler, oh, there's a big wipeout. <laughs> And uh, Jamie Mitchell, the board, the stand-up paddler's board almost takes out Jamie Mitchell, and they both get creamed. No, Jamie oh, pops out. Wow, look at Jamie Mitchell. Jamie had an incredible I ride. think that was the morning of okay. the event, and uh, the commentators were were making note of how incredible Jamie Mitchell surfing was that morning, that he sort of like led the charge and said, okay, boys, this is doable, let's go. But and, uh, yeah. So I'll post this video, it's worth watching, but the stand-up paddler taking off- That might off have been Jeff Clark. Could be. He does stand-up paddling. Stand-up paddler takes off with priority. 
Jamie's paddling in on the kind of right next to the peak, but the sand up paddler air gets under his board. Yeah. So it kind of lifts his board. He bails off to the right, but the board it does a confetti, right? The, oh no, it, it does a hard. It goes for a harpoon right. right at Jamie. Right. I mean, if that hit Jamie, that could easily have knocked him out unconscious. Oh, for sure, for sure. On a thirty-foot wave. Hey, you know, surfing's a dangerous sport. So, crazy. Know, it's a dangerous sport. It could have been a, a normal guy's surfboard. Oh yeah, totally. But. Let's what about him. the shark calling in Western Australia? That's been Hot something. Hot topic, man. Yeah, you know, here's my thing with the shark calling in, in Western Australia. The government, uh, just to you know, sort of summarize real quick, the government has allowed for shark um, selective elimination of dangerous predatory sharks in Western Australia. They've baited hooks, you know, maybe, I don't know, I want to say like a half a mile from the shore. And when there's a large shark over a certain size on the hook, they'll kill it. And then they've done this one time. There's been one killing that I know of and it was widely publicized and videoed and it was like a 12 foot tiger shark. And my problem with, with what's happening is I think if there wasn't a financial interest in the tourist um, dollars in Western Australia, the government, the politicians would, could not care any less if a couple surfers died. Really? So, so this is just really to me about the financial tourist dollar that they're worried about. Why do you feel that? Because way? they've said as much. They, 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 What's the quote? The quote is basically, this is a threat to our financial viability as a tourist destination. So if, if in other words, if it was just a fishing town and some, and some surfers got killed, they'd be like, yeah, that's all right. We're a fishing town. <coughs> Guess what? You know what? People get killed by sharks. It happens. Um, the, uh, now, on the other side of it, the problem I have is that the scientists or the, if you want to call them conservationists or environmentalists, I don't know if that's the right phrase, they're saying, hey, shark population's dwindling rapidly. Well, I'll tell you this much, tiger sharks and great white sharks and the bronze whaler, that population is not dwindling rapidly. You don't want to know how I know that? Because the environmentalists don't know that because none of them have studied those sharks because they're unstudiable. They're just now putting tags on these sharks. But th what the environmentalists do is they group every single shark species in the world in this decline and make you try to bite on the guilt trip. Right. And yeah, I'm sure that like 90% of the shark population is dwindling, but those aren't the ones that are killing the surfers. The ones that are killing the surfers are the great whites, the bronze whaler, and the tiger shark. And the environmentalists have no idea the population of that species. And so on both sides of the equation, I have a bit of a problem. They're both putting a weird spin on it. I have a solution. Let's hear it. They hook these sharks as they're doing now. And instead of shooting them, they just take them 100 miles out to sea and let them go free. Problem solved. No killing of the shark. And the shark is taken away from the surfing area. We still have the baited hooks. And we just continue to take these sharks away from the area. Okay, well, I'm not sure if, if that method is proven. Excuse me. If that method would be proven to be successful, though. I mean, that well, sounds like a good idea, but for all I know, they'll swim <coughs> 100 miles back and just be there tomorrow. They might, and they might bite on the hook and we'll take them back. But this solves the, the outcry of the, of the inhumanity of it all. Yeah. I, so I'll, I'm going to throw back to we, we had a previous conversation about Reunion Island shark situation. And I just want to uh, mirror my same point with that conversation, which is, look, I'm not, 
I don't really care about the sharks. Like, I think it's important to protect the ecosystem and to make sure that we don't kill off a population unnecessarily. But I value human life more than animal life. So human I, life is animal life. Go ahead. I, I value human life over shark life. Okay. So Why? all Why? things, because I think in, in the long run, in the um, good of the world and the ecosystem, humans have more value than sharks or will be able to perpetuate the world and the population. Yeah, but a couple of dead surfers isn't going to stop the perpetuation of the human race. I'll tell you what, there's a few humans I would trade for a shark. <laughs> See? <laughs> or, or a squirrel for that matter. I think it's natural for us to protect our species and that's why we immediately go there. Yeah. And, and I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate. No, I, I agree. I, I, I agree. A couple rogue sharks, kill them. A couple rogue bears, kill them. You know what? A couple rogue alligators, kill them. I, I'm just saying, life for life, I will choose to diminish or to get rid of the shark life over the human life. And... Um, but that being said, I don't think that's necessarily the solution. My point with the reunion conversation that we had was like, look, if this is the best way to do it and it's proven so, okay, then let's do it and we can justify the killing. I'm not convinced this is the best way to do it. You know, I think that there's probably better solutions. You presented one. I don't know that that's been done before or researched, but, but I just think that there's better solutions out there. And I would hate to kill sharks unnecessarily while we're looking for a better solution. What I will say, though, which is important to note. You mean it, you haven't said it yet? <laughs> that was a mouthful already. It was. That was my personal opinion on it. But there's, there's another fact out there that needs to be discussed. And that is that on the east coast of Australia, in Queensland, they've been doing this for 60 years. Killing sharks. Killing sharks. Let me read it. Okay. Uh, every year along the nation's east, east coast, hundreds of sharks are killed by nets and baited drumlines in a long-standing program to protect swimmers at 136 beaches. These shark control measures have proven effective. Between 1919 and 1961, there were 27 reported fatal shark attacks in Queensland since nets and lines were introduced 30 or 53 years ago. There has been one fatality at a controlled beach. It is 60 years since the only um, since the only New South Wales death at a netted beach. Before the 30s, death occurred at a rate of once a year, and in both states, the number of deaths or the number of people in the water has at least doubled since the measures given since the measures began. Yeah, that's great stat. And you know, in the past, since 2010, seven people have been killed in Western Australia. So, so, yeah, I'm it, with you. And that's interesting. You know what? They've been doing it for a long time, 40, 50 years, and it's working. So Nobody seems to be... And that's really what you're getting complaining. at. No, one, no one's complaining, you know? So here's the people... Let me give you one more quote. Uh, <coughs> given the history, it is surprising that shark control measures introduced in Western, Western Australia are generating such controversy. Um, State Treasurer... Treasurer Troy Buswell, an architect of the Drumline Plan, says his government has a duty to protect citizens, and he accuses protesters of his of the hysteria. Um, what amazes me, quote, what amazes me about these people uh, respond in this way to the Western Australia government efforts to protect our public and say nothing about what's been happening in Queensland for years and years and years. I mean, it's lunacy. Unquote. Yeah. You get this feeling there's like an underlying agenda on, on both sides, you know, the politician's side. Um, are they really protecting the people or are they protecting the, the tourist dollar? And then on the other side, 
you know, how about bringing up the East Coast of Australia like you just mentioned? You know, it's been working. It, it just seems that the Internet loves to just get involved in things that they're not necessarily educated about or have done the research on. And you and I haven't either other than a couple Googles and reads, you know, a couple <laughs> article reads. A couple Googles and I'm a, you know, valedictorian. <laughs> right. But it's just amazing the vitriol that is spewed yeah. by the internet in the comments section on these things, you know, trying to protect the wildlife when it's like, look, I don't know that. It's, it's ironic, isn't it? That in the information age and the internet, it becomes harder and harder to get the real truth. You know, there's just so much hate out there and there's so many people spewing so much BS that, you know, you end up sort of going to, you know, Bloomberg News or who, you know, like there's only a few that I'll even, I won't go to Huffington Post and read right. anything from Huffington Post. But right. I mean, who, but um, have you seen Blackfish, the documentary? I thought about bringing that up, but yeah. I didn't know. We got 30 minutes. Have you seen it? I saw it. Yeah. Okay. Do you know what they're doing in Sochi at the Olympics in Russia? No, Apparently they no. captured two orcas and they're putting them on display in like a, a super small fish bowl. And there's been a big protest about it. No, I didn't know that. I saw something. I didn't click on it, though. Tell me about your kook and your duke. No, no, no. Do you want to talk about blackfish? I, I know just kind of did. Okay. So, well, I okay. Mean, go see it. You know, I would okay. highly recommend everyone to go watch Blackfish, the documentary. Did, so, I real quickly, my opinion on blackfish, I liked it. and uh, I loved it. They did a great job of drumming up sympathy for their point of view on the documentary. I'm anti-SeaWorld. You are? Yes. Prior to the documentary or because of the documentary? No, because of the documentary. Okay, they so you're me. just... They got me. Hook, line, and sinker, hook, line, you're taking sinker. it. No pun intended. Um, I'm buying into it. I think it's wrong to put those animals which are highly intelligent in a small little feeding pen. Okay, let me play devil's advocate. I just think advocate. it's wrong, and I don't think that... I don't think that there's been a whole lot of like science and stuff that we've learned. I think that they're, at the end of the day, they're doing it to make money. Okay, you can say I don't think there's a lot of science that we've learned, but devil's advocate will say, I will say... Um, you don't know that for a fact. And what if... What have they learned? I have no idea. I haven't looked into it. I know <laughs> that they have marine biologists that are on staff and that they... No, but they hire like guys fresh out of high school. They, they don't hire marine biologists on purpose because they don't want the marine biologists to see what's going on. Yeah. That was part of the documentary. Well, I'm not, I'm not a fan of SeaWorld. I'm not taking that stance. I'm just offering the opinion <laughs> that it's a very one-sided storytelling in that documentary i would suggest to you that if there's any science that we've learned because of the capture and the um and the holding of these animals um if we can't learn that science without holding them then we don't deserve to learn it. okay that's a good it's a good stance um wow yeah <laughs> you win you win that debate winner i wasn't very um, steadfast in my stance i just wanted to i <laughs> wanted to argue with you look I, I remember in like 2001 i walked into SeaWorld. i had my 32 ounce medium-sized corn syrup drink in my hand and i was sucking on it and i looked over and i went my conscience kind of attacked me went, you know those are sort of small little feeding pens that they put those things those poor animals in and then you find out how smart they are and, right you know like the, when the mom's kind of crying for the baby right when they were actually trying to capture him originally that whole story that whole thing i mean so look i got you know plus i watched it with my daughters so i'm i'm you know yeah i was emotionally swayed well another point that's worth noting um that you kind of brought up with the uh shark calling thing is if SeaWorld's original goal was to collect scientific data by the capture of these and on the, the subsequent goal is we will make a profit along the way. 
that might be a little bit more justified. But I think it's very clear that they captured these whales to make a profit by displaying them. Maybe some of their public relations effort after the fact was, we will also collect scientific data while they're in our capture, you know? So I think that uh, you're probably right. It was unjust from the get-go, and it's hard to now kind of justify. Plus, you know, if you want to see orcas, go up to the Pacific Northwest and get on. They have orca-watching tours, and you'll see them in the wild, and they're fascinating, and it's unreal, and you're really close to them. And, um, you know, I think that's the way to go check them out, you know? But do they have trainers riding on their back? No, but you're welcome to jump in and attempt to get on their back. And uh, okay. there's nothing more... more Majestic? Well, no, scary oh, to me yeah. than oh, an orca. Oh, God. I am so freaked out by an orca because they're so smart. The sheer size is frightening. I would be way more freaked out by an orca than a great white. Totally. Dude, I've seen whales off the coast here in like Newport Beach. I was surfing 56th Street one time and a whale popped up. 50 yards outside the lineup, the sheer breadth and scale of it made me quiver in my wetsuit. No, Quivering. No joke. Like if you stand next to a cruise ship or something and you just see how... Yeah, you're like, whoa. You're, you get scary. a little scared. Yeah, yeah, there's some animal instinct inside of you that gets scared. <clears throat> That's the way I feel about stand-up paddlers. <laughs> I get scared. They're so large. Um, what? Oh, how about your kook and your duke? What do you got? So... Do you have a kook? I do. And do you have a Dukan, a Moko, somebody that we're very happy with? I'm going to give my kook to, uh, have you ever seen the dudes running down the beach? You got your, you got your leash on, your foot, yeah. and you're holding your board under your arm. And the guys who don't lace the leash in through their fingers while they hold it, yeah. they let it whip back and forth, running full speed down the beach with their leash whipping back and forth. Yeah. Full kook, dude. Who is that guy? <laughs> I see it happen every like two yeah. or three weeks. And sure. I'm like, dude, that guy's going to trip on his leash and go down hard. And I want him to. I'm waiting for it. And it happens sometimes. Uh, but what, what's up with that dude? All right. That's a good kook. Full kook, right? Okay. You want to know my kook? Yeah. My kook is President Vladimir Putin. Oh, and the, and the Russian politicians that have... Um, Basically green-lighted an extermination of the stray dogs near the Sochi Olympic Village. They've rounded them up, herded them up, and shot and killed them all. Wow. Yeah. When you mentioned Putin, I was thinking like a lot of different things, but that wasn't kook. what I... Vladimir Putin is my kook for exterminating the poor stray dogs of the village of Sochi. Yeah, that's definitely a kook move. How do you feel about his um, shirtless photo shoot on the back of his stallion? I... Don't have a, I don't, you know, there's Is that nothing, a Duke move or a kook that, move? That, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger hasn't done. I bet. Is it a Duke move or a kook move? It's definitely a kook move. It's pretty kooky. Here's my Duke Hanamoku, somebody that I um, hold in the highest regard. Richard Sherman is my Duke, whose post-Super Bowl interviews were, I thought, classy and sincere and had a sense of humility. And uh, I'm a newfound fan of Richard Sherman. I wasn't a big fan of his going into the Super Bowl. But um, this guy, Stanford graduate, I uh, was pretty impressed by Richard Sherman. What did he say? He was just, like I say, he was very um, humble and he had a sense of humility. And he, he talked about maybe what he said after the NFC championship game wasn't the best way to handle it. And that he had learned from his mistakes. He just said all the right things. Cool. Yeah. And he praised Peyton Manning and only had really great things to say about Peyton Manning. Right. And you could tell that 
it was sincere, which was important. It wasn't just a PR spin that his manager put in his ear. And I, th I, I yeah. like I said, I was not a fan. If you would have asked me a couple weeks ago, he would have been my kook. Now he's my duke for yeah. kind of, for kind of manning up and taking ownership of some of the bad stuff. That, that was going to be my question: is after his first rant, passion field <coughs> rant when they won the game to go into the Super Bowl. Um, how did you feel about him then? No, I wasn't a big fan. Okay, he gotcha. sort of made me not want to root for the Seahawks. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All right, my Duke is um, the newlyweds, Jordy Smith and his new wife, Wendell, and uh, or not Wendell, Lindell. Um, and then I think Adam Melling got married this summer too, recently. So I just think that's great for them. Bravo, congratulations. Who's Jordy Smith? Jordy Smith is... Is he uh, on the tour? He is... A notable South African shredder. He's he's the one of the many uh, that was that was sort of given the uh, what what's the word I'm looking for? He was sort of anointed, right? Him and uh, Dane at the same time. Anointed as the new world champions. Yeah, but Jordy I mean, Smith will never be a world champion surfer. Why not? Because he's soft and he was given way too much way too early. Yeah. He's not hungry. You got to be hungry. You just can't have talent. Everybody has talent. Yeah. You well, got to be hungry. And I don't, I don't sense any hunger. He was just, he's been given, he's, he's already a multi, multi-millionaire. Right. Yeah. I don't know about that. I, I kind of agree with you with your philosophy on that, but I don't know. I think he just, he, he rips. I'd have a hard time. I didn't time. say he didn't rip. I know. I know. I'm just saying it takes but more than ripping. I hate to like call that the Duke because I don't like kind of the celebrityization of kind of tracking Jack Freestone and Alana and their whole dating <laughs> romance and all that. But I do, I do congratulate them. And, uh, you know, I think it's a, a good move on his part. So congrats. Um, must see moments. It could only be Dane Reynolds new video loaded. All right. I want to check my, that out. I dude, know they've been pimping the crap out of that on uh, social media. Yeah. So. You can't avoid it in the last 24 hours, but Dane seriously, he's gone dormant for a while. Um, with his web edits on Marine Layer, which yeah, he is had his to lose website. weight. You know, they had to lose some some of that. He went from Coors to Coors Light. Yeah, but he reignited <laughs> my passion for just web surf videos. It's a 20 mu 21 minute web edit. Uh, it reestablishes his rank as the most exciting surfer in the world, I would say. And it also shows Taylor Knox shredding in a way that we haven't seen him shred since 1999, probably. It gives Noah Dean a proper introduction. He's an uh, Australian young kid ripper. And it also gives Nat Young some hipster street cred. Um, he's ripping in the movie. And I think we just know him as being the athletic WCT, you know, warrior. But no, in this, he's ripping. He's and a future world champion. On, yeah. on Dane's side, uh, it's, it's a 21-minute Really amazing. I, I'm a big fan. Dane Reynolds, one of my favorite surfers. I think his style is unmatched, and I can't wait to watch it. I'm I excited think, about it. I think in the last year, John John's wrestled away the title of most exciting surfer, but in this 20 minutes, Dane wrestles it back. And I my my argument for Dane being more exciting is just that he's explosive, and you don't know what he's doing. He reminds me of Andy Irons back in the day where it was like he's going into a bottom turn and you're not sure what he's going to do. And when he goes into the lip, he ends up whipping a club sandwich kind of rail grab 360 turn that like you were like, what in the world was that? I Big blow tail backside turns, just insane surfing. Right. 
Andy, I think, would do it on waves three times bigger, but Dane mm-hmm. still has that uh, that that offbeat jazz kind yeah. of thing. You know? All right. so, offbeat jazz. That's, that's good. what I got. Well, my must-see moment is actually a must-read moment, and it's a book called The Big Burn, mm. and it's nonfiction about the largest forest fire in the United States history, and it uh, talks about the beginning of the United States Forestry Service and uh, it's a great read, a lot of Teddy Roosevelt, a lot of interesting political drama, and uh, a great book. And I want to give a shout out to my friend um, who who turned me on to the book. Um, oh, God, I can't believe I can't remember her name. It's just... Nice shout out. <laughs> <laughs> that was the worst shout out ever. Tweet the shout out. <laughs> I can't remember. Well, uh, as you think about it, I will say I like... I feel like after I leave our interactions, I'm a more cultured individual. I come in here thinking about surfing and I walk out thinking about Putin and what he's doing to dogs, <laughs> forest fires, like things that I aren't just related. Had such an old man moment. That things I... that aren't related to surfing, but still are important. In in important in rounding out my uh, you know, my well, life experience. Look, I'm gonna continue the culturing of David Scales. Here's the best song ever right here, ready? Let's hear it. The squeal. Powderfinger by Neil Young, my friend. I love the Best squeal, dude. Song ever. Wow, he just dethroned. Are you hiding something from me? He dethroned the Almond Brothers right there. <laughs> um, I got best song ever. You ready? It can't. It won't be better than mine. But it go is. Ahead. Go ahead. And uh, blasphemy if you say otherwise. Uh-huh. But. Let this play out for a solid 20 seconds. Okay. We gotta get in the meat All and right. potatoes, okay? All right. All right. Yes, it is. Good call, dude. Here it comes. Follow me down. Follow me down. Follow me down to Mr. Tom Hughes' town. Pete Seeger. The late, great Pete Seeger. Great call, by the way, Scott. Do you know the song, or you just no, identify? No, I just know that he passed away. I'm sort of a closet guitar uh you know, fretboard guy. And so I know that, Well, he, sadly, you know, he's, he's left us. But. Well, check this out. I'm going to give you a quick Pete Seeger education. Right. Um, that song is called Mr. Tom Hughes Town, which is from the album The Bitter and the Sweet, which was recorded in 1962 at the Bitter End in Greenwich Village. Um, the album is most notable for the first appearance of Turn, 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 which was later popularized by the Birds. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his version on here is fantastic. Pete Seeger's best known for playing the banjo, basically. But yeah. on this album, not so much banjo, much more guitar. And this track I picked for you specifically, because it's a 12-string guitar. Um, I will actually post this entire album on our website. And um, he sadly died on January 27th. Uh, last week at the age of 94. 
Also, really influential in getting Bob Dylan's career started, who's one of my favorite all-time musicians. Gosh, I, I found a Dylan clip on YouTube where he's like 17 years old or something at at some some festival, hmm. and, and it's and it's really powerful. I mean, he, he, Dylan is amazing because when you see him when he's like 15 or 16 or 17, he acts like he's 45. Like yeah, he's totally. so mature for his, you know, he's just so like casual and just like above it all, you yeah. know? And it's not like a too cool, like big league thing. It's, he's kind and considerate. He's not being an asshole, but he's just, he's just like mature beyond his years. It's great to see people who just have a singular focus who are just committed to what they're doing and it, they're impervious to feedback or to um, any compromise. You know, it's just like, this is what I'm doing. And did I'm you convicted. see the Dylan commercial in the Super Bowl? I didn't. Oh, pretty interesting. It was a like minute, minute and a half long commercial where he's basically pimping Detroit car makers and saying, oh. this is where you're going to buy your car in America from Detroit. Wow. It was pretty cool. I was kind of stoked on it. Um, not to go off on a tangent, but did you ever see the biopic that was made about him called I'm Not There? No. Oh my gosh, dude. It's so good. Do you know, um, if you listen really close to Bob Dylan, he sounds like Floyd the Barber from the uh, Andy... No. <laughs> yeah, from the a Andy... Uh, uh, Andy uh, Griffith? Andy Griffith show. Really? Yeah, Floyd the Barber What's the and Andy? Bob Dylan, their voices are the same. What's the Andy Griffith show? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm old. By the way, young. I said I I'm 32 it. earlier yeah, in yeah, this you're, episode. You're so. 30, whatever. Um, look, I don't look bad for 65. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, you look, you look good. Uh, you know what? We got to go. I'm, we gotta go. We gotta go. So, um, if you want to reach David Scales and Surf Splendor podcast, you can do so by social media is the best way at Surf Splendor on Instagram and Twitter, and then our website is surfsplendorpodcast.com, where we will post links to all the things that we discussed: the big wave footage, the Pete Seeger album, um, all that stuff will be on the website, and it'll also be on your website too, right, Scott? Yeah, um, I'm trying to hunt down. Um, my social media stuff, but yeah, you can get it on my website, downthelineradio.com. There'll be basically show notes and you can download all the episodes there. And, um, my Instagram is at boardroom show. Of course, we've got the big boardroom show coming up May 17th and 18th at the Del Mar fairgrounds. The entire surfboard industry is going to be there. And, uh, it's a great time for you to come check out the, the latest, greatest technology and surfboards and all the new gadgets and everything. A consumer show for surfers. Um, and then my email, surftalksandiego at gmail.com. So if you want to reach David and I, that's another way to do that. Surftalksandiego at gmail.com. Again, Instagram at boardroom show. Shred on, everyone, and listen to Pete Seeger this week. All right. Thanks. And See you in two weeks, right? Yeah, two weeks from now. Thanks for listening. Aloha and adios. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Surf Splendor. Thanks to Chris Taloa for sharing your story. Thank you, Scott Bass, for co-hosting this episode. And um, for all you listeners, we need your help. The show is completely free, but the best way for you to invest into the show is simply to share it with a friend. So the more people that are listening, the more episodes we will be able to produce. So please do your part. Um, if you follow us on social media, 
you know, Facebook has a share button. That's easy enough just to share the episode there. Um, if not, you know, just email a friend. Get the Go to our website, get the link to this show's page, email it to a friend and be like, hey, check this out. So if you could do that, we'd be greatly, greatly appreciative. Um, if you listen in iTunes or on Stitcher, the Stitcher app, you can also rate and review the show there, and that is another way to share it. That helps other people to find the show. So um, I know you've been doing that. I would encourage you, new new listeners, please rate and review the shows there. Um, there's 23 or 24 episodes now, so if you are new to the show, go back through the archives. You can find everything on iTunes and Stitcher and on our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com. There are... Um, some episodes that are probably worth listening to. Chris Cote on the fallout of Transworld Surf, uh, Morgan Mawson and Aaron Chang about surf photography, and uh, I don't know, a bunch of others. So dig around and uh, enjoy. I think that's it for this week of Surf Splendor. I'm your host, David Scales, saying thanks, and we will be back next Monday. So you got about six days until our next new episode, and we will see you then. Mahalo. I went to my mother, said, Mother, don't you know, if them women in Shreveport gonna kill me, you better let me go. I went to my mother, fell down on my knees, said, oh, Lord, and mercy, mother, won't you forgive me, please? Mm-hmm.